It's so quiet up here. Where's my choir? <laughs> oh, you're down there. Good. <laughs> I want you to think about a time when you felt absolutely awed by what you were experiencing. And I don't mean something that you just say, oh, that was awesome. Use that word. But where you felt awe. Let me give you an example. In 2007, Don and I visited Sequoia National Park for the very first time. Actually, our only time. I really want to go back there. Because it was in October, there were fewer visitors, and we were virtually alone as we walked through the groves of these incredibly huge and beautiful and majestic trees. It was like walking through a great silent cathedral, and you could not help but be in awe of what you were seeing. Another example comes from the time, the first time we went to Grace Episcopal Cathedral in San Francisco. Um, Grace is this, if you've ever been there, it's this huge Gothic cathedral. It's gorgeous, rose windows, stained glass, high ceilings, just incredible. And in the back of, actually, that day there were these um, incredible, I want to say ribbons, but they were bigger than that. There were pieces of fabric in the colors of Pentecost, in red and orange and yellow, stretching from one end of the cathedral to the other. So just walking in was an amazing experience. In the back of the cathedral, on the floor, is what's called the labyrinth. The labyrinth is, looks like a maze, but it's not. It's a pattern. In this case, it's a, a permanent fixture in that cathedral. It's in the back and you can walk on it and pray. And my daughter said, let's walk on it. So we both began that walk and in silence, kind of buried in our own thoughts. And as we did, suddenly the great organ in the cathedral sounded the opening chords of the Vidor Toccata, which is my favorite organ piece. The sound just went through me like a knife and I was filled with and wonder. Do you have an experience like that that you can call to mind? Sometime when you felt off, tell, tell your neighbor about that experience if you've had one. When have you felt that kind of awe? Go ahead. Then you hold a child, your first child, your grandchild maybe. When you saw beautiful mountains or spectacular landscapes, hearing music or singing in a choir or playing music, when have you found yourself gripped by awe? Yeah, yeah, yo, okay, I'm gonna have someone to tell me. All right, I'm gonna bring a microphone down. Sure, Joanne, yeah. I had an awe, uh, of course, when my children were born, mm -hmm. but I don't mean to embarrass this man here, but the first time he kissed me. Oh. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I knew he was it. He couldn't get away. <laughs> <laughs> and that's 62 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it was a feeling of warmth, and I just didn't, you know, maybe it's because I was young. No, I think you were in love. I think that's beautiful. Love is an, aw is an awesome experience, yes? Anyone else want to share an experience since I'm down here? A northern lights in the Arctic Circle. 
Oh, the northern lights. I have never seen those. Yeah. Our choir went to Europe and we had a chance to sing in Notre Dame Cathedral. Oh. And standing up in front of there and looking at the window and seeing all the people was a very awe-inspiring experience. That gives me goosebumps. Singing in North, Notre Dame Cathedral. Ah, oh, maybe someday. Anyone else want to share one? Okay, well, keep that. Oh, Beth's got one. All right. I'm going to give it to your mom. Two awesomes. One was um, Mount Rushmore. You truly hear angels singing. Mm -hmm. And the other is wandering through St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Because it really is awesome it to be is. able to walk where another faith walks and appreciate their service and their yeah. statues. And they even have the relics of St. Patrick there. It's mm -hmm. really kind of nice. Yeah, that's a beautiful place indeed. All right, Donna's got one. One more. <laughs> Oh, I have lots, but um, one, one. thinking, <laughs> no, just one. Um, singing with uh, uh, my Occidental Glee Club in Lincoln Center under Robert Shaw. Oh, okay. Not everybody would know that, but that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I want you to keep that experience in mind. And now turn your mind to the experience of Isaiah. Okay. He's in a worship service, like we are today, in the Temple of Jerusalem, when suddenly everything shifts. And somehow he is both in the temple and in the heavenly throne room of God. At the same time, he sees both the temple altar and the train of God's robe filling the room inhales both the scent of incense and the smoke of divine fire, feels the floor solid beneath his feet, yet rocks with the temple shaking, hears the sound of worshipers around him and the cries of six-winged seraphim singing, holy, holy, holy. Somehow Isaiah is in the presence of the Holy One, the Lord God, and he is filled with awe. He's also filled with humility. And yes, with fear, for in that moment, Isaiah is aware of something else, that even the seraphim are shielding their faces from the one whom they attend. And suddenly he's overwhelmed by a sense of unworthiness and sinfulness, not only his own, but that of his people. And he cries out, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Can you imagine his despair? Yet it is this lament, this confession, that makes what happens next possible. One of the seraphs flies to the altar and lifts a live coal from the fire and brings it to Isaiah. It must have taken all of Isaiah's courage to let that seraph approach him with this coal and touch it to his lips. Though this was a vision, if Isaiah sensed everything else, I imagine that he felt the painful burn of that cold as well. And then the seraph says something incredible to him. 
Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. What wonder and incredible relief must have flooded over Isaiah as he realized that he was able to stand without fear in the presence of the Holy One of God. Just in time, too. For now God speaks. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I've always thought of this as God's call to Isaiah specifically. But in his reflection on this passage, Reverend Rick Morley offers another viewpoint. He writes, And yet, with all the power and wonder that is conjured up in this vision, the voice of the Lord calls out, wondering where he can get some help. He asks for help. Who will go for me? I read this, and the tone that I hear is that of a plea, as if God expects no one to answer, as if he knows already that the only sound in response that he's likely to hear is the sound of his own echo. While this may be an all-too-human view of God's question, nevertheless, it is striking that God asks rather than commands. Whom shall I send? And then waits. And Isaiah finds it within himself to respond, Here I am. Send me. Clearly, the experience of having his guilt erased opened Isaiah's heart, but still it's amazing that he responded so readily, especially since he had no idea what he was getting into. In fact, Patricia Tull notes that in Scripture, Isaiah is the only person to answer, to offer himself in this way. Forgiven or not... I suspect that if God were to appear here today and ask that same question of us, most of us, like students who don't know the answer to the teacher's question, would look at the floor or around the room and be really quiet. Pretty sure I would. I'm also guessing that the reason we wouldn't be jumping up and down, waving our hands like Isaiah saying, I'll go, I'll go is that we wouldn't, not that we wouldn't feel moved to respond. I think we would hesitate because we feel inadequate to serve. Think about it. If you had been in Isaiah's shoes, would you have answered the way he did? I don't know if I would have. I think I probably would have thought, send me Oh God, you, you don't understand. I'm not qualified to represent you. I'm not good enough, not smart enough, not nice enough, not wise enough. I would only embarrass myself and disappoint you. Or I might think, I'm just one person, Lord. What difference could I possibly make? I wonder if you feel that way. When I created the bulletin today, it seemed natural to choose Here I Am, Lord, as the final hymn. That's what we're singing. It fits with the scripture, and it's a very moving and beautiful hymn. But it occurs to me that this song might not speak to everyone, that some of us might even feel uncomfortable singing it, not only because we don't sense a call from God, but also because we wouldn't feel comfortable responding if we did. After all, we're no saints. 
But here's the thing. God doesn't call saints. God doesn't call perfect people. All through the Bible, God asks things of ordinary, messed up, confused, sinful folks. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, James, John, Peter, Paul, none of them were saints. That's who God chooses to work with. People like you and me who can say and do things that are so mean and so unkind, but can also say and do things that are wonderfully good and loving and caring. People in whom God sees potential. People who, in spite of their faults and failures, find it within themselves to step out in faith. Now, to be sure, God can ask us to do some pretty tough things. The verses that follow this passage indicate that Isaiah's message was, get this, to preach in such a way that no one would understand what he was saying. Now, that may sound easy, but it's not. Um, God says, make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. When Isaiah heard this, he couldn't help but ask, how long, O Lord? which sounds to me as though in that moment he wished he hadn't been so quick to respond. And I don't blame him. None of us wants to be rejected. None of us wants to be ineffective. Certainly Isaiah didn't, and his experience tells me that there are times when following God is very difficult and in fact may seem to end in complete failure. God told Isaiah that the people's stubborn refusal to listen, which has been happening all along, not just when Isaiah spoke, but it would lead to the de devastation of their country. And indeed, God's words came true. Isaiah's call comes at a turning point in his people's history. In the eighth century BC, the Assyrian Empire was rising and the people of Israel and Judah would soon be caught up in international politics, politics that would eventually lead over time to subjugation, destruction, and exile. Like a tree that is cut down after it has fallen, leaving only a stump, the nation would not only fall, but its people would be cut down to almost nothing. Knowing this, one wonders how Isaiah had the courage to go forward. Yet assurance was also given to him, for God says, at the very end of that passage. The holy seed is in its stump. The holy seed is in its stump. In other words, don't give up hope. Here is a promise. Though Israel would fall, all would not be lost, for Israel's future is in the hands of God, and God would not desert it. Most of us will not be asked to speak for God to our nation as Isaiah was, although I would not rule that possibility out. 
but I think we are more likely to find God, that God is sending us us out to serve. Let me get a drink of water. I think we are more likely to find that God is sending us out to serve right here in our own community, in our schools and workplaces, among our coworkers and family and friends. In the midst of our busy lives, however, it's not always easy or we're not always able to perceive God's or to hear God's requests for our help. So let me offer you a couple of possibilities. Last week, the Readiness 360 Plus team sent out invitations. This team is a group of folks who are working very hard to help our church move forward, and they continue to invite you to participate in that process. And the first invitation they sent out this last week was to ask you to join with others in forming a network of prayer partners in our church. We did this in March and we're starting another round of it. And I sincerely hope that you will consider giving this a try. For prayer opens our minds and hearts to God's grace as well as God's call. And praying with another person is a wonderful way to help us focus and to stay on track. You'll find information on how to sign up for prayer partners in the bulletin, on if you, how to sign up online, and there are also uh, forms, I believe, out in a narthex if you want to fill one out and hand it in. The second invitation is a four-question survey that will require a little more thought and prayer on your part. It asks you, first of all, about what you love to do and what gifts or talents you have to share. And I would encourage you to brag a little here, to not be shy about sharing what you're good at, because we all are good at something. The three remaining questions relate to the needs, problems, and areas of concern that you think that God sees in our community. And they invite you to think about how God might be calling our church and you to help address, and me, to help address those issues. We are hoping this survey will help our team to discern a way for our church to make a difference in our community in ways other than what we are already doing. And I urge you to participate. And friends, I would also ask you to pray for our Readiness 360 team, for Mark and Catherine, Don and Krista, Brad and Bibi and Colin. They are really working hard to help our church find its way forward, and they need both God's guidance and your support. So I do ask that you keep them as well as our church in prayer. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us, God asks. However, whenever, in whatever way we perceive God's call, Isaiah's vision offers us assurance. Assurance that the Holy One, the great God of heaven and earth, who inspires our awe, is also a God of grace and infinite mercy who seeks to offer us forgiveness. Assurance that though we are all sinners, God sees the saints that we all also are. 
Assurance that if we walk in faith, if we trust in God, though we may not be successful by the world's or even the church's standards, God's will and way will prevail. Assurance that our future and the future of our church, our community, and our world are in God's great and gracious hands. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Amen.